Hey, they got the guy, uh, Flippin's gonna be here in a moment. They got the maniac who pushed that woman into the subway car. Well, that's good. Now, of course, it's just an allegation. We have to say that. Oh, to make matters even worse, (laughs) on his way to push that lady, what does he do? He jumps the turnstile. He doesn't even pay his fare. Uh, that's what we get, right? There's Alvin Bragg and the left. They decided that that's no longer a crime. You can, you know, actually paying, forcing people to pay, forcing people to pay the two seventy five, two dollars ninety cents, whatever it is, actually kept a good chunk of the riffraff the hell out of there. The idea that you might get arrested or stopped by a cop if you jump the turnstile kept a lot of would be criminals and punks and madmen. Out of there. And now, since uh, enforcing those laws is somehow uh, systemically racist or colonial or whatever they try to pretend this country is when it's not, you got all kinds of people uh, jump at the turnstile, um, including me, actually. I had to do it once. I had to do it once. The train was right there. I swiped my card, and I only had 90 cents. Insufficient fare. Yikes. So, um, given, hey. What the hell? All right. I jumped the turnstile, but immediately upon arrival, I only had to go one stop. I, uh, I, I filled my card and I swiped it. Uh, I swiped it on the other side. So you swiped it without actually using the going for a ride, but I, you know, I made good on my thing. Um, so yeah, you have to jump the turnstile sometimes in an emergency. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can't do it on, on your daily commute. Uh, especially if your daily commute is to, uh, uh, your job as a, uh, criminal. You're, you're going to go to Midtown and uh, and shoplift for the afternoon. James yeah. Flippin. Hey, Greg. You, would, you wouldn't know that it's not allowed, by the way, uh, based off the six train stop up here on 52nd Street or whatever it is. I mean, the people just walking through the the emergency exit like as if it's as if it's nothing. I mean, every time I leave uh, five o'clock every day, there's like streams of people just walking in through that emergency exit. It's insane. Man, I'm feeling really guilty. A couple of years ago, I opened that door for somebody. I, that's happened to me before, I actually. Opened, I opened the emergency door for somebody on the other side who was, I can't remember, it looked like they were trying to find their uh, Metro card, and they couldn't find right. it, and the train was coming, and the, I, I could tell the guy was like, kind of, damn it, damn it, damn it. I'm like, hey, come on, get in here. Well, I mean, for me, it was more like I was going out with a crowd of people out that emergency exit, because in the morning, you know, it's really tough to kind of get out sometimes, and Somebody was coming in. What am I going to do? Slam the door in their face? I mean, come on. And I'm just going to say it. You know, I got to tell you, for a long time in this city, it didn't matter what color the other person was. It didn't matter what color you were. Everybody rode the subway together, right? It was the whole damn thing. But there's something extra special. I will. I'm just saying it. I don't know where this comes from. But these days, as tense as things are, when you have one person of one race and another person of none another race and there's an act of kindness there's a, a there's just something kind of beautiful about it and i mean yeah extra beautiful now i don't know why that is i mean we've all been it should be just human to human but there's something a little bit extra special these days when you see like you see it's like you know it's yeah the media the culture they're talking up all this stuff but we the people understand you know, and it's mm-hmm. something. Have you have you noticed? I mean, by the way, we're both Caucasian, and um, that's fine. But have you noticed anything when you when your interactions with uh, 
Oh, you got I got to give myself every silly caveat. Have you ever done anything nice for a black person lately or vice versa? Just say it. Yes or no. Have I observed that or have I done that personally? Right, it sounds like you don't know uh, what the hell I'm talking about. All right. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not really picking up what you're putting down. No. All right. When you hold the door or somebody holds the door for you mm-hmm. or you hold the door for somebody else and they happen to be of a different race. Mm-hmm. It makes it somehow just a little bit sweeter, just a little bit like there's an acknowledgement. I I, I, I see feel in the yeah, eyes yeah, yeah, like yeah. you know what? Hope is not lost. Pushing past some of the what people are saying, it's supposed to be like the culture says one thing, the media say one thing, but you and I here on the street, we yeah. know it. We know it's not like that. I think we, I yeah, I do. I get that. I understand what you're saying. I I don't know if I've experienced that recently though. Well, maybe you're, you should be nicer to people I who, guess don't, I should. who don't look like you, James. <laughs> That's all right. The so wait, you came in here to tell me all about this, uh, the, the maniac they found. Oh, who is yeah. he? What's his name? What's going on? So and how is the lady doing? 39 year old. Well, she remains in the hospital, unfortunately, with a severe head injury. And I think it was like you said yesterday, that woman's life has been changed forever. Um, but 39 year old Sabir Jones, Saber Jones. Um, he was arrested while panhandling outside of Newark Penn Station yesterday. A passerby, I guess, recognized him from some of the news reports concerning the fact that he, you know, supposedly pushed this woman headfirst into the train. By the way, um, an underreported aspect of it maybe is that he also punched a guy uh, near that or at that same subway station. And the guy is in the hospital in addition to this 30-year-old woman that he pushed headfirst into the train. So Sabre Jones arrested in Newark. And is in custody for having pushed a woman headfirst into a train in Midtown. And how is she doing? Do we know her name? I haven't actually seen her um, identification, as a matter of fact. Uh, I'll have to check on that for you and maybe hopefully get back. Do we know anything about her condition? Just that they say she's fighting for her life. Critical. Oh, man. And then if she makes it through, yikes, you don't know what's going to happen here. Right. Um, have you noticed this guy Trey Yinkst on uh, TV all the time? Do you like him? Um, I've seen him. Uh, I see his photo on social media a lot in terms I, of like, stand-up reports that he's doing there from Israel. He's got to get a different helmet. I think that looks like a German helmet. It looks like it looks like something from World War II. It, you know what I mean? Kind of like Hogan's Heroes. It looks like the bad guys. But like, that's sort of this that, that they came up with that at the time revolutionary style, right? Where it kind of goes down I'm, and kind of protects the back of the I, head. No, it it there's something. Look. The very first thing I did when I became an embedded correspondent, when I knew I was going to be embedded with the troops, I said, because I had this uh, civilian, you know, stuff that we got from the, I don't know, some hardware store or some sporting goods store, a helmet and a flak jacket. I said to the troops, you got to get me something cool. Okay. I can't, I can't, I can't look like this. I yeah. look like, one guy said, I look like Magilla Gorilla. And I wore the hat. I'm like, I can't, I don't know what, I don't know why exactly. Anyway, so I got something cool. I got a cool cami flak jacket. And I got a real U.S. military helmet that looked cool. Not like uh, they just, I don't know. And I, he seems a little, look, I understand, apprehensive. And you know what? Very easy for me to sit here in New York, although you never know what could happen in New York, right? I feel like we're all in the battlefield a little bit. Yeah. I hope Trey stays safe. I don't have much to say about his reporting other than he can be a little bit dramatic. I do remember back in the day at one point he seemed to be a little bit too uh I don't know. Like we have, we have the Israelis and we have the Palestinians, and you know we have the Israelis and we have the Palestinians, as if it were like in uh, the, the same moral uh, plateau. Mm, mm. I don't see it that way. Uh, I haven't heard that criticism in a while, so I hope he's doing fine and I hope he's safe. All uh, like all the other reporters, I do think they should uh, 
uh, calm down the dramatics, all right? It's dramatic enough. You know, you guys are in a war zone, right? You're in, you don't have to like sell it any more than you do, right? Yeah, that's true. That's what, quite frankly, they said made me a great war correspondent, right? Cause I was kind of cool and mellow until like there was real stuff going on until it was real, you know, until it was real. And even then I kind of kept it under control. So, um, there, there's a lot to be said for that. It, it, you can put anybody over there and they hyperventilate and jump up and down. Just, you know, there's a time I've hyperventilated and then I jumped up and down. I'm just saying, try to, try to keep your wits about you. But can I ask you something about that? Given that you have that experience, you know, reporting from that kind of setting, what's the best way somebody can try to dig in on like what's real and what's fake? Because, you know, we've seen so much this week with, there was the hospital in Gaza that was bombed. You know, originally there were reports saying, oh, this could have been an airstrike that came from Israel. And then it said, oh, no, it's a, a rocket strike that was first fired from Gaza. Now we're reading about this Orthodox church in Gaza, you know, this this Greek Orthodox church that apparently there was a airstrike that may have damaged one of its walls. Right. And they, both sides are blaming each other. What, what are you supposed to do there? When you're a correspondent over there? Yeah. Like, how would you try to dig in on that well, when you were actually on the ground? One thing I did... And I didn't always do it, but I learned to do it. You know, there's a tendency to, and you get it from local news reporting. You show up in the morning and, and, and you stand in front of some school, you know, where something happened the night before or something may happen that night, right? And you're just, or, you know, some crime and something happened again 12 hours before. And you're talking, you're not actually talking about where you are, what's happening, what's the mood like. Local news does that. It's wrong. It's bad. Um, but there's this tendency to always think, even correspondents, like wherever they are, the news must be somewhere else. Something else is important. Hey, man, you're in Gaza. What does it smell like? What does it look like? What is your day like? What do you, what is around you right now? What is that thing over there? Let me show you this. Let me show you that. I mean, anybody, we all have our Blackberries, our iPhones, Androids, you know, anybody can, just watch what the AP is saying all day long and comment on it. You know, they took all that trouble to fly you all the way the hell over there. Um, tell a story. Go find something that you know and don't debate about the crap that we see on the Internet. We mm. can do that. You've got to do something else, something yeah. special, something That's a good different. Point. Right. 